Well, Patty, I love this episode. I'm so excited to finally get Accept Blue on here, a, a new player in the payment space. I thought it was very insightful. Very insightful. And I was really intrigued by the fact that, you know, these guys were created, you know, they launched in 2020. I yeah. mean, <laughs> what a challenge. What a challenge. And and yeah. and, and what an awesome um, solution they've put together. I mean, they really have. Our, and if, our, they, our, if they could put that together in 2020, right. ima- imagine what they're going to be like in three or four years. I know. And I really think that they do fill a niche. I think ISOs and agents have needed a true Stripe competitor for a long time, and that's what I consider them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think if you're going after ISVs and or, or level three merchants and stuff, it's a very, very interesting interview. And then tell us about the insiders. Uh, we're, we have a James and I have a very uh, candid <laughs> discussion on cryptocurrency and what's going on in that field in terms of, uh, shall we say, mainstreaming it. Um, right, right. Spoiler yeah. alert, I'm not a fan. And so I'm, I'm sure many of you will disagree with me. Send me your emails and comments. I welcome your negativity. <laughs> right, right. So it's, it's and then fun. your uh, your your question from the field, really, really uh, interesting uh, uh, dialogue you offer this week, James. Thank you. Thanks, Patty. Yeah, we talk about barriers. Um, There's so many of these barriers. You know, I talk about, you know, leasing terminals, long-term contracts, price increases where, you know, there's this perception that they're just bad in in the industry. And the truth is they can be bad if used incorrectly. But I talk about the idea of building towards your objective and not really closing off options before you decide what your objective is going to be. So, right. And not letting your perceptions cloud your judgment, right? That's a good way to put it. Absolutely. So, I think we got a lot of great stuff, Patty. I'm ready to go if you are. I am. Let's go. Welcome to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Hey, everybody. Patty and I are here today with the Director of Business Development at Accept Blue, Ben Fresh. How are you doing today, Ben? Good. Thank you so much, James, for having me. Absolutely. So uh, Great to have you. Yeah, I'm excited about this one. I've been wanting to do this interview for a while. I've been following uh, Accept Blue's progress, and um, I think it's always exciting as we get new companies in the payment space, um, especially when we get new companies that are not, you know, eliminating the ISOs and agents that are actually like in partnership with them. Um, and that's certainly the case with Accept Blue. So this the main topic today, other than introducing Accept Blue to our audience, Ben, is um, we're going to dive into these recent integrations you've done with Salesforce and NetSuite. Um, you know, which I know you guys are really excited about. Um, I think it's an amazing opportunity for our audience to target literally tens of thousands of merchants that they otherwise probably would not get. Um, but before we dive into that, Ben, give us a little bit of your background, your journey, and then tell us about Accept Blue just in broad terms. What is it and what do you guys do? Sure. So first of all, thank you so much, James and Patty, for having me. I'm really excited about this. Um, I'm really into the content that you guys create. And you know, James, one of the things that I feel like our industry is really missing is um, is education. There's so many, there's so yeah. many, there's so much out there, there's so much knowledge that um, right. ISOs and agents need to have. And um, besides for you and you know some other couple of folks out there, um, there isn't that much education. So I, yeah. I, I'm really, I'm, I'm a big fan of this, uh, Thank you. you know, this podcast. And the Thank you. Content that you create for sure. So yeah, let me tell you a little bit about Accept Blue. So we're a processor agnostic gateway and. Um, uh, when I say processor agnostic, processor is like a word that like, I, I sort of feel like everybody has a different definition yes. of everybody calls yes. something else processor, right? So processor agnostic as far as like uh, first data thesis Alabama processors, but we're also processor agnostic as ISO agnostic. That means uh, we work directly with ISOs. We don't work directly with merchants. We service ISOs. That's who our partners are. Um, right. And we're open to all ISOs as long as they're working with uh, our, our processors, first data and thesis. 
Um, yeah, so a little bit about uh, about Accept Blue. So we're fairly new. Um, you know, I like to say we're the new kid on the block, but we're the cool new kid on the block. So uh, it's not that big of a problem. Um, so we actually started off, um, our beginnings were at um, a software development firm, a small company that was doing custom software development. And what we started realizing was that with every software that we were building or managing, uh, there was always that payment piece that came into play. Yeah, and course. more often than not, that was that was one of the more complicated pieces to to implement. And we realized that the options out there, uh, you know, the you know the older gateways or the older platform weren't always um, you know easy to connect to and to integrate with, and they were very slow on you know implementing certain features or solutions that would enable uh, softwares to really put that payment space in. And the more we you know, thought about it and spoke about it, the more we realized that there's a real uh, void in the market for, um, you know, payment platform and specifically uh, in the B2B and business to government uh, industry. That's where it seems to be like, you know, the largest void and the biggest, uh, sure. you know, the biggest space for us to come in. So, uh, you know, we, you know, we set about building Accept Blue. Um, it took us a couple of years, um, but we finally reached the point where we were confident enough to sell. 2020 was actually our first full year of sales. So, um, yeah, you, you know, it's probably baptism uh, by fire. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it was like if it was any year to launch, it's going to be 2020, right? right? But it's been a good year, you know. Um, you know, just you know, the, a lot of businesses, especially card present businesses, had a really hard time. But thankfully, because we're mostly focused on card not present, um, right. you know, the hit wasn't as hard. Um, we were, and we were able to really get our product out there and start sales, yeah. So in a nutshell, that's that's pretty much Accept Blue. Mm -hmm. I have a I have a quick question, if you don't mind, Ben. The sure. name um, Accept Blue. What is is there a significance there? I mean, it. You know, I have to admit, when I first saw it, it was like, hmm, I wonder if this is Amex. <laughs> I don't know why. I just you know. No, right. their colors are blue. So, their yeah. colors are blue, right? Yeah. So. <laughs> For sure, right? So actually, you're not the first one to say wait. So you guys are part of American Express or not? I mean, it is right. a little bit confusing. Um, there really, there really isn't that much, you know, depth to the name. It's more of accept, meaning we're accepting payments, we're allowing, you know, payments to be accepted. Um, you know, a software company that we were working with in the past was, was Code Blue, so we sort of like broke off of that and used the words um, Accept Blue. Okay. But then, yeah, there's not much of a, oh, I see. Uh, you know, philosophical yeah, so, story behind it. Yeah. yeah, definitely not a, not aligned with Amex, though. Okay. Right. <laughs> yeah, right. It'll make it a little easier for you guys if someday you get acquired by Amex, and then you're all set. Change the name. So right. um, awesome. You know, one other follow up to that, too, I had, you know, I kind of compare <laughs> you guys in some ways to Stripe. I don't know if that's an accurate comparison, but it, just as far as your go to market, I know you guys have a lot of other things with the optimization and all of that. But how do you, you know, Stripe is obviously like the enemy of our industry in a lot of ways. Um, our, when I say our industry, I mean the, the direct merchant sales organizations. Um, how do you guys, how do you compare yourself when you look at somebody like a Stripe? Obviously, they've been around a long time, but do you feel like you're kind of solving some similar problems in terms of ISV integration and stuff? So I'm really happy you asked that question. One of the, one of the models we, we have um, with our development team when it comes to the API is simpler than Stripe. That's like been yeah. a sort of our slogan. And, I kind of figured uh, that. I can, yeah, I, can tell, I can tell just by seeing what you guys were doing. It's like a lot of the bigger uh, gateways in our industry that are fantastic and I love them, but they, you know, they're not quite there. The API side, I mean, you you know, if you're, a, I'm a, I'm a developer by background as well. And so like when you actually integrate with Stripe and then you integrate with somebody else, you know, you're like, wow. I mean, there's, they're getting better, but man, there's definitely a, a gap there for sure. It's harder. 
For sure, for sure. And, and we, you know, we focus on the virtual terminal, you know, our core product, but at the same time, we place an immense focus on the API because right. we know that that's where the future is, right? At, yes. you know, at the end of the day, sure. if you don't have a clean, simple, open API, right. Um, right. you know, you're not, you know, you're not, you're not set for tomorrow, right? Right. Um, and another thing we did was that um, our product is a, is a fully white label product, which means every ISO right. gets the product branded to them. So we branded the API as well. So if you're right. an ISO, except Blue, your, your API documentation is actually branded to your company because we want API to be uh, a really um, a leveraged part of, of, of our mm. solution. That's really cool. I didn't know that you actually white label the API is pretty sweet. So yeah, I think that's an interesting, I think that's an interesting way to, you know, a lot of people are like, well, there's so many gateways. Where does Accept Blue fit into the ecosystem? And at least for me, when I talk about you guys with ISOs, it's like, well, if you have a software company that's saying we don't want to use, we want to use Stripe because it's so simple that even though we're not making any rev share, we would, it's worth it because of the, the, the savings on developer time. Um, I think that's kind of the accept blue spot. So anyway, so let's, let's dive into our topic today. So I, I really like this. I was excited to see that you guys had done these integrations. So um, let's, let's start by just kind of giving us a little bit of scope. So Salesforce and NetSuite, these are like humongous companies, but our industry may not be as familiar with them as you and I are, Ben. So can you give us a little concept of this opportunity of merchants and businesses that work with Salesforce? Do you have any numbers, any stats? Give us a little bit of information about those companies. For sure. So NetSuite is an is an enterprise resource planning software, or better known as an ERP software. And Salesforce is a customer relation management or CRM software. And you know, really simply, what these are are softwares that larger companies or organizations rely on to run their business. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, you know, different industries use different softwares. Um, Salesforce is used a lot by the nonprofit world, but for the most part, the, the common denominator here is that if you're a large organization or a large business and there's too many pieces, you know, to, to, to there's too many uh, pieces going around your company, you have the software that sort of enables you to manage everything from one portal, from one admin, uh, you know, and, and makes life a lot easier for these organizations. So, um, what, so be, because these are primarily much larger companies that are using these softwares, and we're talking about a minimum of you know 100,000 a month and sometimes it's millions of dollars a month in, in, in processing. Um, this is obviously you know the, the, the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow for, for, for ISOs you know, and agents. And the thing with these companies are is that they might have, they both are really incredible pieces of software, but when it comes to payments, they rely on um, you know, another, you know, another party being integrated right. to the software to allow the, these businesses to process payments within this software. And that's where Acceptable comes to the picture where we created these plugins that allows uh, businesses and organizations that are using these softwares to process payments uh, within these softwares. Um, you know, so everything is really in one place. Yeah, so you talked about the size of these organizations being larger. Um, and I know, and of course, I mean, Salesforce, you know, there's, there's individuals that use Salesforce, right. but right. I think to your That's point, cool. as far as payment integrations, the bigger companies is where a lot of the opportunity is. Talk about the type uh, a little bit. Uh, you mentioned nonprofit with Salesforce. Do these companies tend to be towards maybe card not present or is there any, is there any, anything there? Or is it just kind of like, if you're large, you might use Salesforce. I mean, does it, does it matter about the type? Right. So, um, you know, there are both card not present and card present organizations that use these softwares. Um, but uh, primarily, I would say the overwhelming majority would be card not present because, for the yeah. most part, we're talking about let's say with NetSuite, there are 40,000 uh, companies that use NetSuite today, and for the most wow. part, we're talking about 
um, actually 150,000 they use Salesforce. So we're talking about a lot of the, uh, you know, these are, these are really, really right. big. There's like uh, 200, there's like 200,000 companies exactly, that are using exactly. one of these two platforms. Yeah. yeah that's, that's 200,000 opportunities, wow. you know, for, for, for ISIS out there. So, um, it, you know, and, and I'm sorry to cut you off there, but okay. So we have these 200,000 companies. I want to talk about this word native for a second. So yeah, this, yeah. these are native integrations. So explain to us if, if I'm a, a large company and I want to accept payments and I'm using a different gateway that's not native. What does that mean? Why is that different from the native integration that Accept Blue has done? Great question. So, so um, when it comes to when it comes to the word native, um, I like to say there's two parts to the native, you know, to the nativity of this of this integration. And one is that um, payments are actually taking place within NetSuite or within Salesforce. So, with a non-native integration, what what you might see is a sort of a, a pop-up window that appears. You know, right, when right. the business is trying to process payments or redirect to a different page or a different website where they might have the information, you know, transferred over. But at the same time, we're talking about uh, another party coming into play over here, um, you know, because it's it's not happening actually within the NetSuite or Salesforce right. software. Okay. While with Accept Blue, um, we're not, there's no pop-ups, there's no redirects, there's no links to it, there's nothing. It's actually built in as part of the NetSuite account. So you have you know, your safe right. cards and your customers and the ability to just process payments with the click of a button. So that's part one of, of native. Um, part two, which is equally as important, is um, the fact that we allow uh, the ISO to handle the relationship. So, you know, with, with some other uh, native payment plugins out there, what happens is that uh, the gateway will say, you know, we need to deal with the merchants directly. Um, we don't want the ISO coming in because, you know, you know, these softwares could very often get complicated and with specific customizations and things like that. And they say, you know, we don't need you, the ISO in the picture or the agent in the picture. We'll just talk to the merchant. Um, but, uh, but, but with Accept Blue, uh, because it's our proprietary gateway and we service ISO, that's who we service. We're more than happy for the ISO to handle the relationship. And as, you know, James and Patty, both, you know, both of you know that, ISOs, it's so important for them to handle the relationship, for them to stay right. in the picture at all times. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. It's, it's really interesting too, because, you know, I know exactly what you mean about this native thing. It, it is very jarring when, you know, and, and like even stuff like just making sure the data is there. I've seen integrations where you're like, accept a payment. It takes you to another gateway landing page, basically. The customer makes the payment, they click and it, it's approved. And many times it leaves you on that other screen and says right. payment approved. And it's like, okay, Where well now go from here. So so now you go back to your other tab and nothing changed. So what do you do? Yeah. Do you then have to make a checkbox that says it was paid? Like that doesn't make any sense. Whereas what you guys are doing, if I'm understanding it correctly, it would be like within Salesforce, it says payment accepted. And right. here's the date it was accepted. Here's the transaction information. And so it's like all there in that system. And that's really important because when you get a customer that calls in and says, you know, hey, I made a, you know, my, my account says I, I'm, I'm in arrears and payments, but I actually made a payment last month. And your customer service person actually goes and looks at it. They don't really know if you did. They right. then have to go back into the gateway, right. try to find this transaction, see the date on it, see if it matches the invoice number. And, you know, it's like, it gets very, very confusing. So I think, you know, um, having it native is just really, really crucial. Um, and so, so let's talk about Salesforce for just a second. So um, I use Salesforce for my company a long time ago and I had an ISO of my own that was pretty large. And 
Um, I'm not a huge Salesforce fan, but I understand why larger organizations use it. It does pull things together. So let's get a little more specific. Let's talk about a card not present merchant that's invoicing, you know, customers. Okay. So maybe they're doing large ticket and they're, they're invoicing, maybe it's a B2B type client. They're invoicing their customers. What does that transaction flow look like inside of Salesforce if they use the Accept Blue integration? Right. So when it comes to Salesforce, um, you know, you know, you mentioned uh, an example of sending out an invoice. A lot of a lot of people that use uh, Salesforce are relying on recurring payments. Um, yes. I mentioned, you know, nonprofits, you know, that that have donors that have just you know recurring payments for a nonprofit. Someone who sets up a recurring payment is, is the absolute best, right? Because yes. they're not, you know, just, you know, the payments right. are just coming in month after month or week after right. week. Right. So right. you know, the process would be pretty simple: of selecting a customer. You know, adding a card, saving a card to that customer's profile, and that card is tokenized because it's going through the gateway, and we, you know, we, we rely on tokenization, and then just setting up that, you know, that recurring payment to just run automatically, and that would update Salesforce in real time and the gateway, you know, the virtual terminal, the reporting in the gateway at the same time. These these uh, two softwares would be talking to each other, are completely synced, mm-hmm. and the same thing happens, you know, with sending out an invoice and the customer paying. Everything would be appearing both in Salesforce and at the gateway um, in real time and keeping everything updated. In, yeah, in so. real time and simultaneously, right? It, it's right. not like there's a lag between, gotcha. Right. Yeah, okay. So so let's pivot to NetSuite. So maybe a good example here would be more of the invoicing, I would think with NetSuite. Um, let's talk about merchants specifically that maybe do level three processing, which we haven't talked a lot about on this podcast. We've covered a few things here and there about optimization, but you know, let's say we have a government contractor. So as an example, I, I used to have a client that was really large and their job was they fixed all of the um, mail trucks. So all the trucks that, you know, deliver the mail and things like that, they would go to this kind of regional um, auto repair place. And so this place was billing the government and the government was paying with government issued credit cards. Okay. So let's say that example, let's say that merchant is using NetSuite. Can you give us a little flavor of how that would work as far as how they'd be collecting money and potentially this, this level three data that they need? Sure, for sure. So I'm really happy you brought up, you know, level three, you know, uh, you guys are the expert on, on level three and a big part of Accept Blue is uh, interchange optimization and the fact that we automate uh, the level three. So um, again, we're not, we're not, we weren't trying to really change anything with the NetSuite or, or Salesforce for that matter. We're just trying to enable them to accept payments. So, right. you know, an example would be, uh, you know, uh, merchant creates a sales order, um, which is considered an authorization. Again, they would have customers saved and filed with saved cards. And they would, you know, process the payments either a sales order or a cash sale. And then when it comes to level three, that actually takes place completely on the back end. So the merchant is not faced with any additional data fields that they have to input. They just they're just putting in the you know the credit card number and the zip um, and processing that payment. And then on the back end, what Accept Blue is doing is sending all that additional data, um, you know, to the you know to the processor. So. It's really, you know, any software that's going to leverage except whose API, be it NetSuite, Salesforce, uh, you know, QuickBooks, whatever it is, um, the one of the major benefits is that these transactions, if they're qualifying transactions, and in your scenario, that would be a prime example of, of, of a business that would, you know, qualify a, a lot for interchange optimization. This is all happening on the back end without the merchant having to do any, uh, you know, additional work or putting in any additional information. So that additional information basically is being populated from NetSuite, from what's already on NetSuite. Is that what you're saying? 
So we take whatever information we have on NetSuite, whatever, oh. you know, whatever information is, is provided, we'll grab that. Whatever's missing, we'll provide on the back end, you know, default information or template information um, as the ISO set up this merchant. But right. um, yeah, gotcha. we're, we're, we're going to, you know, combine, you know, this information to to uh, create this complete set of level sure. two and three data and, and send that off with the transaction. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to throw you a little bit of a curveball question, and, and and it's fine if you know. I know you're probably not the in-house expert on level three and all that. So I, you know, this may be outside of the the wheelhouse, but I'm just kind of curious. So with level three, I mean, there's a lot of data that's required, and I mean, it's pretty specific data, and it's data that's required by the government in order to, you know, process transactions and then to be able to get to slower rate by the card brands. When you say you're pre-populating, I'm just curious, like, how do you decide how far to push that? envelope. I mean, ultimately, you don't want to provide, you know, bogus information, for lack of a better word, it does need to be legit. So any, any thoughts on that is just kind of in general of like, how far you push that envelope to make it like this, quote, unquote, fully automated versus actually getting the data from the, the merchant? So and, and you know, um, James, I get this question probably on a daily basis at this point. So you know the answer, right? You don't have to search for it. <laughs> right. So, so, so let me tell you a little bit of how Accept Blue does interchange optimization, and it might be a little okay. bit different yeah. than you know some other platforms out there. So, when an ISO boards a merchant to the gateway, um, you know, there's going to be a, a you know there's going to be a tab level three, and what we're going to do is we're going to ask the ISO for some industry specific uh, level two and three data. I mean, besides for let's say a tax rate based on the merchant's locality, but we're going to tell the we're going to tell the ISO we're going to recommend of the ISO to ask the merchant for a set of information that's uh, that's relevant to this merchant. So, so let's you know, let's take an example. Let's take a you know, um, you know, a, uh, uh, let's take a simple example. A plumber, right? Um, they have one product. Um, they have they have many products that they sell, right? But they can for sure provide uh, SKU, a product reference number, uh, you know, a description, a name, a commodity code for at least one of their products, right? Uh, they could probably do for many of the products. But we just asked them get one set of information from this merchant and plug it into this merchant's profile. And now we're going to, so it's now, it's not just sort of dummy data that's just being sent the same for every merchant across this ISO portfolio. Instead, we're actually getting uh, industry-specific level two and three data that becomes the template for this merchant's transactions. And we're going to mm -hmm. take that and obviously, there's going to be some default information that we're going to provide on the back end. And a lot of it, you know, is, is really sort of, um, it, you know, it could be defaulted, but whatever could be uh, specific to this merchant's business, to this merchant's industry, you know, we, we give the ISO the ability to actually set that information as part of this merchant's profile so that we could take this fully specific industry-specific template and send it along with every transaction. So, you know, to answer your question, yes, some of it is, um, you know, default data that, you know, technically could be sent across all merchants, but we do try to have level two and three data uh, be specific to each merchant's, uh, you know, file. Yeah, I think to me, it's a really interesting debate. I was talking to another company about it recently and we were just debating. And I mean, I think it will be interesting to see how that develops uh, from the issuing, you know, obviously the issuing banks hate this. Like, you know what I mean? This is like now very, I mean, it's not like you guys are the first to, to try to, Automate. I think you're pushing the envelope further, and I love what you're doing of setting up the profiles and trying to make it as specific as you can. I will be very interested interested to see. It's like you guys are absolutely playing by the the existing rules. You know, yeah. I wonder if two years from now those rules will change. I really sure. do. 
these issuing banks are losing millions of dollars a day as a result of right. companies like yours. And I think it's great. I love it. I think they should lose millions of dollars a day because these merchants deserve to get lower rates. But at the same time, I wonder if they're eventually going to come back and say, eh, you know, this has got to be like actual legit. But I think even in that case, you guys have an advantage because having your NetSuite integration, you know, that is where that data is going to live for these companies. And, and I mean, most... Yeah. So, you know, so I think it's super interesting. Okay. So, so let's shift gears a little bit. I think our audience has at least a, a cursory understanding of this, you know, native integration. Um, and so I, I think that's interesting. Is there anything you would add to this uh, before we dive into kind of more of this, the sales side a little bit? Is there anything that you would add in that you feel like the NetSuite and Salesforce integrations, is there anything about them that sets them apart from other companies that have tried to integrate that you find is like a real advantage to these, these business clients? Anything else you kind of want to add to that? And and perhaps maybe what the difference between each of them, if there's any distinctiveness that sets them apart from each other. I mean, it seems not to, but I'm just going to throw that out there. Right. So, um, for sure. So, you know, NetSuite is, is, is primarily primarily used by, uh, you know, manufacturers, wholesales, um, right. wholesalers, okay. uh, businesses like that. Um, whereas whereas Salesforce could be could be used by organizations that, that talk directly to customers and not necessarily... Sure. You know, business to business, they you know they could be a B two C company as well, and even and even private individuals, uh, like you mentioned. So you know, NetSuite is going to be used by, uh, you know, you'll you'll almost never ever find a small company using NetSuite. I mean, that would be, uh, you know, that would be very rare. Um, you know, and yeah. it's not so the case with you know with Salesforce. So there are certain differences, but you know, the key thing that I that I you know that I think about both of these softwares and why I think it's such a valuable uh, plugin and such a big deal for ISOs out there is because. Um, you know, when you get such a client, when you get a NetSuite client, um, we're talking about, you know, a, a volume of transactions that is, that is easily the size of, you know, four or five smaller, uh, you know, sure. smaller merchants. And, you know, you know, sort of the smaller merchants are the low hanging fruit and, and, you know, it might be tempting to run after them. And there's nothing wrong with running after, you know, the nail salon down the block. I'm, I'm, I'm not saying those aren't good merchants, but um, if you sort of focus on the larger merchants, I think there's so many benefits. And besides the actual profits um, that are available with these larger merchants, I think there's one other point, and that's stickiness, right? Right. When you when you when you, when you sign up this this uh, nail salon, you know, um, you know, down the block, um, all it takes is another agent with a couple of uh, you know basis points off to come and say, listen, switch to me. You know, I'll give you the same service with a little bit of a lower rate. And you know that happens. You know. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's probably statistics on the retention rate with, uh, you know, with merchants, smaller merchants, but, but, but I'm pretty convinced that um, with these larger merchants, it, it doesn't really work like that. To get them to switch their, their payment uh, partner is, is a big deal, and they're not going to do it so fast. So if you can come there and tell them, listen, we're going to give you payment processing within the software that you use at a good rate with interchange optimization, um, you know, you can you can be pretty assured that this is gonna this is a relationship that's gonna stay for a long time, and it's gonna take a lot, you know, to shape that partnership. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 a really good point. Do you have any ideas, Ben, about you know what advice you might give to ISOs who want to target any of these these businesses? You know, are there specific places where they can go? Um, or other ideas that they can leverage to start building a book of business in this space? I mean, because it seems, as you say, it's extremely lucrative. You know, if I was out there, I'd be jotting down this stuff right now and, and going for it. Uh, but, you know, where would they go? 
Right. So that's a, you know, that's a great question. And one I've been getting ever since we, you know, we uh, rolled out this integration. How do I get these merchants? Right. I get it. I get the opportunity. How do we actually get that? Yeah. And, you know, the truth is there, there isn't some, you know, uh, you know, secret website that's going to list all these uh, NetSuite <laughs> companies, anything like that. Right. But what I do, what I, well, you know, what I do tell these ISOs is that, you know, it's all in, um, it's all in how you, uh, you know, set yourself up, you know, who you're going to be targeting, you know, your mindset. You know, I, I was talking to a certain ISO and, and the ISO mentioned that um, what they've just done was sort of uh, take off commissions or roll back commissions on any businesses that are processing less than $100,000 a month. And, I, and I'm not saying that's, you know, that's good advice for every ISO office, but the point is we're, we're going we're, we're gonna to pivot, uh, you know, these agents to really focus on these, these larger merchants. And when you start looking for them, you will find them. You know, when you, when you, when you, when you start focusing on a large opportunities, on manufacturers and, and, and wholesalers, then instead of noticing, uh, you know, the small shop down the block, you start noticing the factory, you know, a couple of blocks away, and and this larger corporation, you know, um, you know, a few miles out of your, um, you know, city, and 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 that and that's where your 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 focus starts to to be, and eventually you definitely will hit these companies that are using NetSuite and Salesforce, right. and you can come to them and tell them, listen, I've got the complete solution for you. I would also think that like, you know, office buildings, I was, you know, I was talking yeah. to a friend the other day and, and he was like, you know, explaining how he was in a building that was like, you know, 17 floors, right? He's a stockbroker, but there's all these types of, of, you know, a big, or at least mid, mid-sized businesses, you know, mid-sized to larger businesses. I would think that that would be, you know, just in my mind, it'd be like, Hey, let's go to one, a couple of these buildings and start looking at the directory and see, you yep. know, yep. right. <clears throat> Absolutely. Well, you know what, Ben, I, I'll, uh, I'll give our audience uh, an idea right now of exactly how you could target them. <laughs> so uh, I know exactly what I would do if I still had an ISO and I partnered with you guys and wanted to go after these NetSuite merchants. The beauty of, of our uh, economy today is social media. These companies may not have published a list, um, but it's the same thing. Um, and so what I would do is I would write a short little ebook or a short little guide of, you know, optimize payments with NetSuite would be the title. Um, create your ebook, you know, create your graphic, um, go to the Facebook advertising platform and run an ad for that as a free download where you get name, email, phone number. And in the interest section, just put the word NetSuite. And what that's going to do is that's going to target anybody on Facebook that has liked the NetSuite page, has uh -huh. interacted with NetSuite, has talked about NetSuite. Um, and so Facebook is very good at that. Even, you know, have they visited the NetSuite website? Because I guarantee you NetSuite is using Facebook pixels. Um, and so the great thing about it is these companies, you know, these social media companies make it super, super easy. So if you want to make $100,000 a year extra in the next six months, take that idea I just gave you and the first one that runs with it is going to make a ton of money. So um, yeah, I think there's absolutely ways to target these businesses. Um, another really interesting one to be Salesforce would be really the exact same thing. Salesforce does an amazing job of getting their clients to engage with them on social media. That is one of their hallmarks. Um, so leverage that to your advantage. Go to these different platforms and say, run an ad on you know, how to optimize payments with Salesforce or enterprise payment solutions for Salesforce, the key, you know, three keys to enterprise, you know, whatever. And so come up with a sexy title, get a good graphic designer from you know, upwork.com or something and make a cool little ad, a free download or something. And man, you could absolutely just kill it in this space. So 
Um, yeah, so I love what you guys are doing. So Ben, let's let's close it out with this. I know we could keep talking for a long time. I'd love to talk to you more about level three. We'll have to do another episode at some point about that. But um, tell us about where people can go to learn more. I'm sure we'll have a lot of ISOs and agents that are interested in partnering with um, Accept Blue. So where would you send them to learn more? Sure. So um, our website is always a, a great first step. It's accept period blue. There's no dot com. Um, that's a common mistake. It's just accept dot blue. Um, you can fill out the uh, you know the contact form there, and we respond uh, you know usually within a couple of hours to to every information request. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Well, that that's explains great. it because I tried to do acceptblue.com and got uh, some very <laughs> strange site. <laughs> yeah, I don't think we were thinking of that when we actually you know decided on accept dot blue. Um, you know, you thought accept dot blue would be so cool. You know, everybody would remember. Right. right. But, sure. <laughs> Oh, that's funny. Yeah, I made that mistake with I can't remember what it was. Some business I had a long a while back, and you know, eventually everybody figures it out, but it takes a little while to get it across. So, Ben, uh, thank yeah. you so much for your time today, the information, the insights. Uh, I know for sure a lot of people in our audience are uh, already salivating over some of these things and are going to be reaching out to you guys, and hope you guys get a big bump from it. So, uh, thanks again for taking the time and sharing the info with us. Yeah, thanks again. Thank yeah, thanks a lot, Ben. I actually learned a lot from this. Thank you. That's cool. Uh, it's been a real pleasure, both James and Patty, to be here. I'm, you know, really excited to have been able to convey so much value, valuable information. Like I said, I think you guys are doing a great job, you know, educating ISOs and, and, and agents out there. So thank you very much. Thank you. So Patty, uh, I did an in a, a questions in the field probably two months ago about sales tax and cash discounting. Mm -hmm. I you remember that. Right, I remember. Mm -hmm. One of the most confusing ones I've ever done, I think. Um, exactly. I realized it was confusing content. So I followed it up with a very detailed ebook. And I wrote this ebook in conjunction with um, Valor Paytech, our uh, sponsor okay. on the podcast. Right. Well, I bring this up because I thought it was pretty cool. Valor actually built out this feature now. And when you're using Valor, you can actually decide on a merchant by merchant basis do you want the sales tax to calculate before or after the um, non-cash adjustment is applied? Wow, now that's very cool. It is, yeah. So they that's really took kind of the spirit of the ebook. They were already actually working on it. And then I worked with, in conjunction with them to make the ebook and now it's live. Um, so if you read that ebook and you're like, wait a second, you, you got it. And you're like, I am selling larger merchants. I'm doing this the wrong way. Um, right. just understand our sponsor, Valor Paytech has actually created, um, the technology for you now. Cause it, when I, when I wrote the ebook, it actually didn't exist. I, I later, I wrote the ebook. Then I reached out to Valor and they're like, oh, we're already working on that. I'm like, oh, that's amazing. So then I did it in conjunction with them. But when I wrote the ebook, the technology actually did not exist to do what I was advising people to do. Um, uh -huh. there was, there and was now ways, it does. Yeah. And there was, so there was like ISOs and agents I worked with that were doing like um, custom integration and custom coding mm -hmm. for it. But now right. just do Valor Paytech. So again, go to, if you want a demo of how that works about the sales tax side, go to ccsalespro.com slash Valor, V-A-L-O-R, ccsalespro.com slash Valor, V-A-L-O-R, and uh, get a free demo. And I, I think this is just so um, instructive, you know, yeah. of, of how Valor is approaching the industry. I mean, there's a yes. problem. They, they try to address it. Yep. And uh, so, again, folks, uh, if you haven't already, go check out uh, ccsalespro.com slash B-A-L-O-R. This is Questions from the Field, brought to you by ccsalespro.com, the leader in merchant sales training and technology. If you're an individual merchant sales professional, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash training to get a free 14-day trial of our all-access pass.
If you manage a team of merchant sales professionals, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash ISO to learn how we can help you grow. And now, here is Questions from the Field with James Shepard. So, Patty, last week I was talking about how I've been creating this new uh, merchant sales mastery training program. Right. And, you know, I've been talking, uh, last week I talked about beliefs. And today I want to talk about barriers. And this is another really interesting one as I have conversations with a lot of ISOs and agents in the industry. Um, I'm amazed at how many of these companies and individuals have put up barriers where they will not do certain things uh, in the payment space because they have decided that those things are morally wrong and that the things that they do are morally right. Such um, as what? What do you mean in terms of like the product is morally wrong or the... I'll give, I'll give you an So let's take leasing as an example. This is okay. like, the, this is the most controversial. Uh, I, see what you're, I see where you're going. Go yes. for it. Okay. <laughs> so let's take leasing a terminal. Okay. Right, right. Is leasing a terminal morally wrong? Well, the answer is it depends. Okay. Yeah. All of the right. things I'm going to tell you today, the answer is it depends. Um, you know, am I leasing a $4,000 point of sale system to someone because they, it's better for their cash flow to pay for this device over time? Right. Well, I don't think any of our audience would say, oh, that's terrible. You should never do that. You know? Sure. Well, no, that's fine. Like I'm trying to spread the investment out. Right. right. Now, if I'm leasing a, you know, Verifone standalone terminal for $169 a month times 60 months. Well, <laughs> now there's a little bit of profiteering going on there. That's right? a, yeah, exactly. Okay. So which is how it was in the old days. Exactly. Yes. Right. Now here's what I would say. I'm going to today, I'm going to give you a list of, I don't know, what do I got here? I don't know. I'll give you five or six of them here, but I'm going to give you five or six of these hot topic issues. And here's what I want to encourage you to do as you're listening to this you know, be aware of your initial response. When I said leasing a terminal, what did you think in your head? You either thought, well, yeah, that's what I do. I lease terminals all the time and I make a ton of money on that. Or you thought these people at lease terminals are evil and horrible and terrible. And I just think they should be out of the industry. That's what you thought. Your brain went to one of those two places. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Let me challenge you to go somewhere in the middle. <laughs> okay. I'm always big on the middle ground. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. So understand leasing terminals is a building block. It is a, you know, it's a Lego piece. My son has a big, he has this huge bag of Legos. Sure. We dump it on the floor and there are just all these random Lego pieces and we can take those pieces and build things. Now, if I said to my son, now Donnie, you see these little one block Lego pieces. Those are bad. We don't use those. <laughs> we don't and you use see those, the, right. And we don't use the red ones either. Right. And we also don't use the wheels because I think wheels are just stupid to have in a Lego box. So we're going to take out all the wheels, <laughs> all the individual blocks and all the red ones. And we're going to put those in a pile. That's the naughty pile. We don't use that pile. Now let's yeah, build he's going to say, dad, I don't like this game. <laughs> right. And then I'm going to say, and then I'm going to say, Donnie, build me a red car. Oh yeah. Well, What's going to happen? And and it's funny. It sounds so stupid, but Patty, I get on these calls with these agents all the time, and they're and I, they're like, now James, you know, I would never lease a terminal. I would never do a long term contract. I would never do a price increase. I would never sell a small merchant. Help me build a profitable portfolio. <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, right. you want me to help you build a red car without any wheels? Like what? No, like. There are building blocks. You can use each of these things correctly, or you can use them incorrectly, mm -hmm. right? 
-hmm. You can use them for some merchants where they make sense. You can use them for others where they don't. You know, in a similar vein, Patty, I have, I've had agents come to me and say, James, I want to sell big merchant accounts. I'm like, okay. And they're like, now here's the thing. I always provide free equipment. I never do long-term contracts. So what's the right plan? And I'm like, the right plan is to not sell large merchants because you're going to suck at it. So, you know, stop this idea of this evil pile and this morally high ground pile of stuff. Like, no, these are just options. Okay. Right. Can you use them incorrectly? Yes. Are there certain branding strategies that would rely on making some of them seem evil? Yes. And I am 100% on board with that, right? I know companies that go to market with like, we always provide the equipment for free and that's your branding position. And I think that's fantastic. As long as you're targeting merchants where it's going to make sense to provide them with free terminals and you're understanding that you're not going to be able to sell a 40 location restaurant. Right. If they need new equipment because they're going to need that's a lot of $200,000 worth of equipment. Right. right. So, you know, so you, you have to make sure that you're putting these building blocks together to accomplish your objectives. What I find people doing is they're making their strategies backwards and they're saying, well, here's all the things I'm willing to do. And here's all the things I'm not willing to do. Now let me make a strategy. No, Mm -hmm. make a strategy, make an objective first, then say, okay, I want to sell this type of merchant in this, you know, I want to sell them this service then say, okay, what are the building blocks that I need in order to accomplish that objective? Okay. So I'm going to run through this list real quick. I'm not going to have time to talk about it too much, but these are some of the things I find that are big barriers. And again, uh, stay tuned in about a month or so, you'll see the merchant sales mastery course that spends about two hours on this. So um, cold calling. Okay. Cold calling. I know tons of reps. I, I do. I do referral. I never cold call. Really? Okay. What happens when one of your people that's one of your partners, uh, maybe you get the chamber of commerce and they say, here's a list of all of our members. Mm. Well, I don't cold call. You're an idiot. Right. Okay. Cold call that list. Right. Of course. And, but, but you'd be surprised how many reps is like, well, I don't do that. I don't cold call. Well, you're going to lose a ton of money then. That's a bad trade. That's stupid. Okay. So I don't cold call. I would never walk into a business. I don't do that. I don't do walk-ins. Okay. Well, what if you're doing a LinkedIn strategy where you're identifying high potential executives and these executives, you know where their office is and you're trying to sell larger organizations and you are going to be in that area. And if you were open to the concept of walking in, you could walk in and say, hey, I just happen to be in the area. I want to drop my business card off for Tony. Is he around today? And Tony would see you because nobody ever walks into that office. Mm -hmm. But because your brain is shut off to, I would never go out in the field and walk into a business, then you can't have that opportunity. So don't shut your mind off to it. Um, You know, social media prospecting, right? When I talk about social media prospecting, there's always the two extremes. You know, oh, I just use social media. It's so magical. No, it's not. Or I never use social media. I just walk in and, and cold call, right? Well, what if those of you that walked in and cold call also got email addresses and connected with people on LinkedIn? Right. What if you, those of you that are all social media that have all this data on local businesses, what if you took that data and used it to walk in and start a warm conversation, right? So you don't Mm -hmm. close these ideas off. Um, You know, I talked about equipment leasing, purchase, rental, like all three of those, they have their place. Long-term contracts, month-to-month contracts, um, price increases. I know agents are like, you know, and again, you say, well, James, I, my whole brand is built around, I never increase your price. Well, that's fine. I'm not saying that's bad, but what I'm saying is then don't think in your, you know, in your mind, 
a price increase is evil. Right. No, it's not. If you do a big price increase that nobody knows about and you know, and you are not providing additional value, it's wrong. But let me tell you something. Do you realize that merchants, when a merchant, let me talk to those of you that would never do a price increase. Do you realize that when a merchant signs up with you and you get them to say yes initially, do you understand that getting them to say yes to you, it required you to do a very low price point relative to your value because they weren't convinced that you were going to provide exceptional customer service to them. Right. But do you understand that after a year of providing amazing customer service to your clients, do you realize that you're worth more? And do you realize that if you took that value and you did a small price increase across the board, that your customers, your merchants would not cancel because they say, well, I know that it was this price initially, but now it's a little more. And that's okay because they've been providing me with a lot more value and I'm still not going to cancel. Right. So, there's a place for the price increase. Um, large merchants and small merchants, micro merchants, right? There's reps that are like, I am never going to sell a merchant that has under 5000 a month, okay? What about your local chamber that gets 2000 a month in member fees? You don't want to mm-hmm. be the processor for your local chamber because they're under 5000 Right. Like, use your head. You know, there are a lot of businesses out there that do $500 a month. <clears throat> There's a friend of mine I know, and he has a business that's uh, uh, like auctioneering and stuff. And he probably only does 500 bucks, maybe a thousand a month in, in processing and credit card processing. Cause it's just his nature of his business. This guy is connected to everybody in the area. You know, mm-hmm. why yeah, would what I, a great deal it would be to have him and yes, get the referrals. Right. Exactly. So sure. we never do. Then there's merchant, there's agents that are like, I'll never, I can't call these large businesses. I just don't have that. You know, well, what if you spent two hours a week pursuing large accounts, you might get one or two of them a year. And each of those might produce you $1,000 a month in income. Right. So why not go after the Salesforce merchants like we talked about? Or like next we talked about with them, right? right? So you know, keeping that in mind, um, you know, building a sales team, you know, this is the last one I'll mention real quick. You know, there are those that are like, you know, I never want to hire agents. And there, there are those that are like, the only reason I'm in this is to build a team. You know, wait a second. You know, it's like, well, I, I you know, James, I have three agents, so I don't sell anymore. Okay. How many sales were you making before all by yourself? And they're like 15 a month. How many do all three of your sub-agents make together? And they're like 12, okay? Well, there, that's simple and, math. And how much of your the residual are you giving them that you used to get all of, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, this idea that like, well, you have these agents. No, like you can have your cake and eat it too. You can go out and sell while training your agents. You don't have to give up one income to get another one, build a new source of income from these agents and these affiliates. So my point with all this is there are these, and I cover a lot more in the training, but there are all of these different things. And what I do in the training is I talk you through understanding these building blocks or like I call them the Lego pieces. And the idea is not which of these are you willing to use? The question is, what are you trying to accomplish? And then how can we use these different pieces and how can we put them together to help you build the strategy that you need in order to accomplish your goals and objectives? Great stuff. Thanks, Patty. This is the Insider's Report with Patty Murphy, brought to you by The Green Sheet. For nearly 40 years, The Green Sheet has been the go-to source for news, analysis, and educational tools that empower and connect payments professionals. If you're not reading The Green Sheet already, check it out on the web today at www.greensheet.com.
So, you know, James, we haven't talked much about cryptocurrencies recently, but there is right. plenty of news on that front. Um, the big news, I think, is that both Visa and MasterCard are preparing to support settlements using cr- cryptocurrency. Mm-hmm. And PayPal is, 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 is in the game as well. Mm-hmm. Now, as far as Visa and MasterCard are concerned, it's not just any cryptocurrency. Mm-hmm. Uh, both companies say their initiatives are focused on what's called stable coins. Um, as the name implies, uh, stable co- coins are less volatile than like the more well-known cryptos like Bitcoin. Right. Um, because the uh, value is pegged to fiat currencies like the U.S. dollar. Right. Now, there already are several credit and debit cards that are tied to cryptocurrencies. Okay. Uh, some even offer rewards in cryptocurrency. However, when a consumer purchases something using a crypto card, that crypto needs to be converted into a fiat currency in order to complete settlement, right. which obviously adds costs and complexities to the process. Right. Now, crypto.com um, is based in Hong Kong. It's based in Hong Kong and it issues a Visa prepaid debit card backed by cryptocurrencies, uh, including the stable coin known as US dollar coin or USDC. In late March, Visa said it had been that it had just launched a pilot that allows Crypto.com to settle Visa transactions using USDC. And uh, not surprisingly, Visa execs characterize this as a quote major milestone. Right now, Mastercard also said that it's on a similar path. Uh, it made an announcement in February that it's working. Uh, towards uh, doing something with the USDC. Yeah. And they're both, both Visa and MasterCard are also working with the major central banks, providing test platforms right. uh, for, for simulations, right? Um, for, these, for, for the central banks are all working on these ideas of what's called central bank digital currencies. Right, right. Now, now, according to reports I've read, China is the one country closest to launching a national digital currency. Here in the U.S., the Fed is said to be in the exploratory phase of developing a digital dollar. Right, right. Now, you know, you really, I'm sorry, I just, I have to cut in here because um, I'm so passionate about this this subject, not in the way most people are. Um, But, uh, you know, this cryptocurrency thing, you know, okay, so... Let me get this straight. So the reason cryptocurrencies were developed was that we did not want any government entities, large organizations, or anybody else tracking us or having anything to do with our money. Right. We need cryptocurrency, right? Right. Right. Well, how is it eventually going to take off when Visa accepts it? Thank you very much. (laughs) When the government comes out with their version of it. Right. Hello. I mean, come on, people. Seriously. So I think there's I think there are big advantages to the idea of um, blockchain and the technology involved in creating secure transactions across borders. Right. Right. right? I think there's going to be a lot of things like USDC that are for, um, you know, these are for large organizations that need to exchange a lot of money across uh, borders and things like that. And then they want to settle it in their own currency in their, in their home country. But 
solving those problems is a very, very, very different value proposition from Bitcoin and from right. dog coin now. Um, so, you know, is I there really a dog coin? <laughs> oh, you haven't seen that. Yeah, it's crazy. So, no, I haven't. <laughs> uh, it was like the hottest thing lately. So, you know, it, it, here's the thing. I just think it's very important. And I know a lot of people in our audience are going to hate me for this because a lot of you have, you know, you've made, you know, $50,000 by investing in Bitcoin or whatever it is. Bitcoin or, or something. Right, right. Yeah. And, you know, you're making these investments. And, you know, I, I'm not trying to say that I think that's wrong. Um, you know, I'm happy you're making money. Make money but, wherever you can make money. Yeah. Right. But just make sure while you're doing that, you understand what what these things are. So Bitcoin yep. and all these others, it's like it's they're great because they're not backed by any government. Right. Meaning they're worthless in real terms. They're only as valuable as the confidence that exists within right. the network of their value. And that's exactly. okay. But let me explain. Right. If the US dollar drops 4% in a day, the US government is going to find a way to prop it up. If I'm yes. literally holding a $100 bill, the odds of it being worth less, the odds of its buying power decreasing over 12 months to less than $100, the odds of that happening are actually very, very low. And the reason is that the government is going to do whatever they have to do and play whatever monetary games they have to play with all the resources at their disposal to make sure that the buying power of my hundred dollar bill is right. You know, it's still hundred dollars, but you know it's going to right. be ninety seven. Like it's going to be close. You have that Bitcoin money. You have that dog coin. You know whatever it is. Do you understand? Like that is the the odds of it being worth what it's worth today, more or less in a year, are unknowable absolutely that, and that's the key unknowable. right there is it's so unknowable right yes i mean i had this conversation with my investment advisor the other day and and he was like you know i just was you know mentioning hey you know what about coinbase should we look at that and right. you know and and you know and and we got talking about bitcoins and i did years ago i did a story on bitcoin and when i do a story i like to check something out so i bought a right. bitcoin for 90 dollars Right. Right. It hit a thousand dollars. I took my profit and I left. You know, right. I mean, I would forgotten about it until I went back to do another story. It wasn't. But I have friends who have so much invested in these Bitcoins and these right. other cryptocurrencies. Right. And I'm like, you guys have got to be crazy. You know, I mean, yeah. well, you, and again, I guess, you know, and again, it's you like should just bury your money out in the backyard and hope you remember where you buried it. You right. Know? Or or if you have um, we have people on this call that have a million dollars in the bank. If you want to take sure. 20, 30, 40, 50,000 dollars and play around with Bitcoin or go to the horse track, either one. Well, either one. Have fun. I hope it. I hope you make a ton of money. But just understand that when we're sharing a story about Visa beginning to get into crypto and the government the government of China creating their own crypto, understand we're not saying that means that Bitcoin, look, it is becoming mainstream. No, right. it's not. The technology of blockchain is becoming yes. mainstream because it is needed as a means to process transactions securely. The idea right. of a currency that is like the enemy of every government and that is never going to track you, we have not seen that become mainstream just yet. We've seen investing in it become mainstream, 
but we haven't sure. seen people actually using it to buy food at a restaurant become mainstream yet. So anyway, I just had to throw that out. That's my little but rant. No, on, and, on, and that's a good point because it's also an excellent segue into what I wanted to say next, which well, is what go. PayPal is doing. Okay. So, you know, here we go. And, uh, you know, it, PayPal is, you know, flinging the metaphorical door wide open to crypto. It's been allowing consumers with PayPal or Venmo wallets to buy, sell, and hold cryptocurrencies in increments right. as low as a dollar. Um, and it includes both stable coins and more volatile cryptos like Bitcoin. But they've also announced that folks can use cryptocurrencies in their PayPal wallets to make payments at e-commerce merchants that accept PayPal. Wow. Well, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. And it's called Checkout with Crypto. It's an option that that appears alongside credit and debit cards in the wallets of those who hold cryptocurrencies in their PayPal accounts. Sure. Now, this is what I think is interesting. You know, PayPal said, hey, the draw for merchants already keen on cryptocurrencies is that they can accept crypto without additional integrations or fees. And that all transactions are settled in U.S. dollars and converted to the applicable currency. Right. But the draw for PayPal, I think, is more money in its coffers. Because as I read the news, a crypto payment from PayPal doesn't incur interchange. Right. Um, But it doesn't read as though PayPal plans to adjust its merchant fees. And, you know, while crypto fees are high, there's nothing holding back PayPal or any provider for that matter from batching transactions. Right. Right. Which is going to shave costs all, all, overall, right? So, right. right, that's where I think it's that and, that I found very interesting. And, it's like, yeah, no, I'm sorry. It's just like, and again, you know, I'm going to go back to it again. What you just described is not in any way a delivery of the value proposition that we were given of Bitcoin. Right. The idea that PayPal is going to allow you to use your Bitcoin value for a fee in order to pay a merchant who doesn't want to accept Bitcoin has nothing to do with this idea that we are seamlessly, we're just going to pay each other and we won't even know who we are and they won't, the business won't even know who I am, but they're going to accept my Bitcoin. No, the business owners don't want to accept Bitcoin. The idea is failing. It is not working, but There are so many people who are investing in Bitcoin who think they're going to be a millionaire by investing $1,000 50 times and get lucky over and over again that they want a way to spend it. And so you're leveraging the existing payment rails that already are there to transfer value in a way that is completely opposite from the original value proposition of crypto in order to buy things from a store in a normal way. So you know, again. Yeah. And, and even, you know, you know. And, and to go back to the to the earlier point is when we have if you have governments creating crypto, where's that anonymity? I mean, forget it. You just right. I mean, to me, the whole thing yeah. about Bitcoin is right. And I, I cracked up when I was doing my taxes last year. It was like, have you made any money on cryptos? Well, if I did, you think I'd tell you? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's uh, there's no reporting on that. Why would right, I even say right. anything, right? Uh, it's just so but, crazy. Uh, but I think it's really interesting that everybody's, you know, er- everybody's talking about, like I said, right. I right. was talking to my investment advisor. He's like, well, you know, I'm telling people they should have three or 4% of their portfolios in, or of their assets in crypto. In, in crypto. I'm like, 
Yeah, three or four percent, but don't count right. me in. Right. Know? Well, one again, I, mean, I think if I, I had think, a million dollars, yeah. Right. One again, I think the idea here is: Do I think that cryptocurrency is going to be immensely valuable in ten years? Absolutely. Do I think every small merchant is going to be directly accepting Bitcoin or other types of things like that without going through the traditional rails of Visa, MasterCard, American Express, Discover, the issuing banks, acquiring banks, or PayPal? No. Or Federal Reserve. Not. Exactly. Or just government right. issued. So, you know, do I think this idea of this wild, wild west currency, look, there's a reason the government is stepping in here and why they're creating their own currencies and why, because they're not going to allow an untrackable currency right. to gain mass appeal. They're going to come up with their own version that's trackable. Hello, they make money by tracking your money. That's how it works. Exactly. So if you exactly. think Bitcoin is ready to take on the U.S. government, you're crazy. All they got to do is pass one law and it's done. So I would be very yes. cautious when, I, when you say have part of your assets in crypto, Yes, but what does that mean? Well, that could mean investing mm -hmm. in startups that are looking to do B2B payments through traditional rails using blockchain, right? That's a Correct. crypto investment. If you want to day trade, then you day trade Bitcoin. Why? Because it goes up and down by 30% here and there. It's like, yeah, but if you actually are looking for long-term investments, be very careful. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. So anyway, that's my two cents. But Patty, thank you as always. Very interesting info there. Yeah, thanks, James. This episode of the Merchant Sales Podcast was brought to you by Valor Paytech, the technology company that is revolutionizing cash discounting and surcharging with innovative features like dual mid support, waive the fee options, and even adding non-cash adjustment charges to tips. Now, all of this is made possible by a variety of technology devices and solutions such as gateways, tabletop point of sale devices, and features like SMS text messaging and e-invoicing, all with cash discounting in mind. Valor Pay Tech, bold ideas, smart execution. Make sure you head over to ccsalespro.com slash Valor, V-A-L-O-R, ccsalespro.com slash Valor, V-A-L-O-R. Schedule your free demo today and watch videos and learn more about this amazing technology solution. Thank you for listening to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Whether you are an industry veteran, processing executive, or just trying to learn about the payment space, we appreciate your time. The Merchant Sales Podcast is a joint production of greensheet.com and ccsalespro.com. And we hope you will tune in next week for more information and tips on building your merchant services business.